Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. United. Sorry, Lewis Hastings, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, Rebecca is probably in the Waterstones in the centre of Manchester. We'll join her later. But welcome to the Hobcast. Well, I have to confess that, what, three hours after the match, my ears are still ringing because uh, rarely has there been a better atmosphere at Old Trafford than there was today. I mean, I've been going for years and... For some reason, it was just a sort of outpouring of, yeah, hatred for Leeds, <laughs> but also just this joy of being back in the stadium for the first time. And there were 72,500 people together, most of them maskless. I'm sure we're all going to go down with something, if it's not just from the catering at half-time. But uh, it was fantastic to be there. And the final result, yeah, I rub it in for Lewis Hastings, 5-1 to United. But we're in the centre of Manchester, and I say we, I'm back with my partner in crime. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. And didn't Bernard Fernando score quite a bit, quite a lot of goals? Yes, he, he scored a hat-trick, which you thought was some sort of magic trick. Yeah, so you sent me a message that said uh, Bernard Fernando has scored a hat-trick and I imagined him lifting his top hat and producing a rabbit. <laughs> yes, Bruno Fernandes was the star today, so was Paul. And Magnus? Magnus Greenwood scored a goal. Paul. Yes, Mason Greenwood. Fred? No, Paul... Pod... Pogba, Pogba, Pogba. Yes, he, yeah. he, he got four assists, which I had to explain what an assist is. Anyway, that, that was the football element of today. So we're in Manchester. We're outside the Central Library. There's a bit of lairiness going on. And we're watching a pigeon eating someone's vomit, which is very pleasant. Oh, and there's a lovely little vignette just in front of us of a mother and daughter hugging. She's a tiny little girl with ponytail, and it's all very sweet. And, uh, yeah, we're in the Central Manchester, near the Central Library, which is one of my favourite buildings in the city. Uh, we're in St Peter's Square. The uh, war cenotaph is on the right. That was transferred here when they put the trams through, um, put an extra line of the trams, so they had to move it very controversially. But it looks all right where it is. And we're under the shade of a, of a lime tree, I think it is. Yeah, it's lovely. There's like a, a sort of a, a line of lime trees, in fact. And, that, and actually they, they sort of provide a little bit of tranquility, I should say, even though we can hear some of your lovely fellow football fans singing somewhere over there. Yeah. Uh, I joined in earlier. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite lively in Manchester. In fact, it's fair to say that uh, walking around this afternoon, going to Waterstones, we've had a lovely Brazilian meal. That's not an oxymoron. Um, but there's a real Saturday old-school vibe to the city today. It's uh, noisy, it's boisterous, it's fun. 
There's a lot of people out enjoying themselves. It's like the pandemic never happened, apart from the fact that half the people walking past have got masks on. <laughs> and it's, I just Because we've had 11 days in isolation, so we've had 11 days where we couldn't even go beyond the, the, the bottom of the garden. And then to be suddenly in amongst all sorts of people. I've, I've loved it. I've just walked around all day while you were in the um, stadium and just looking at all the different people in the different... Listening to snippets of conversation, which I love doing. And Yeah, it's been a really good day. Well, we've been a little um, remiss because we haven't done the proper introduction, so we ought to yeah. say who we are, what this is, and who's coming up as our guest. So this is the Hobcast Bookshow. I'm sure you know that already. And we are Adrian Hobart and... Rebecca Collins. Together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following. Well, we don't publish hardcore. We've got Sancho, Paul Popper, and Fred. Marcus Rashford is Mount Bourne and Bread. The greatest in English football. We've won it all. But it's Malcolm. <laughs> Malcolm Rutherford. Not Mar- what did you say, Marcus? Marcus Rashford, they said. <laughs> He's I should injured. correct them. <laughs> well, anyway, where were we? What genres uh, do we publish? Yeah, we were sp- <laughs> <Thrillers>. <laughs> I'm going to go mank now. Suspense. Climb. <laughs> what, what, what does that leave me? <laughs> Mystery. Oh, yeah. Mystery. Right, okay, um, that's pretty much close to my Harrogate voice and indeed my Merseyside one. But anyway, that's what we do. We publish those books and uh, it's the two of us running it. We have 17 authors, all of them fabulous, and you can find out more about them at our website, www.hobeck.net and subscribe there for a free collection of fantastic work from eight, eight now, of yeah. our authors. Nearly nine. We've got Nearly nine. One to add soon. Well, that's very, very exciting. So uh, we're, uh, we're opening our submissions, for those of you who are, uh, have been pestering us, um, we're, we're opening them again in September for a month. We'll, we're expecting a, a slew of submissions and it takes a long time to work through them and we're still finding ones that we, we took in last year. So uh, we do apologise for those who are still waiting for a, for a result. Uh, it's worse than waiting for GCSEs. On the subject of which, <laughs> in personal news, if I may start with that, I want to congratulate my two boys... Um, and for those of you who don't understand the way it all works with us, we have between us five sons. Uh, Bex and I got together three, what, four years ago, and uh, my two boys, Ben and James, well, uh, first of all, James had his GCSE results, and uh, they were as strong as he could possibly hope for, and all of them, all of them passed, some of them spectacularly well, and the others he was always going to struggle with, he got the grades that he worked so hard to get so i'm delighted for him and i'm very very proud of him uh and then my uh my other son ben contacted me last night to say that um, he's in the middle of studying at loughborough university in sports management and he's decided to take a placement year next year working in business and he's got one and it's just the best for someone like me because he's going to be working for the company that make cyclist golf clubs and golf balls as well as foot joy shoes and all the other things that golf paraphernalia could ever want <laughs> so uh, that's a real achievement as well so he's going to have a fabulous year with them I'm sure it's going to be a big challenge but he starts in a couple of weeks so that was great news and you had some exam yeah, news too we, so my oldest Luke did an AS level in further maths and he got the best mark he could possibly get so he was very happy with that as well so yeah it's been a good week in terms of 
achievements. Yeah, and to fill you in on what's happened since last week. So, as you remember from last week's episode, we were stuck in the the house. We were in um, isolation. Two of the boys, Luke and Josh, had uh, COVID. Our holiday, we should have been coming back from Aaron today, uh, was cancelled. And so uh, we are scrambling to sort of figure out if we can have some sort of break somewhere in what remains of the summer holidays. But uh, it's been sort of one of those weeks where emerging on Wednesday back into real life was just the best feeling. Um, and actually, using the difficulty, as Sir Michael Caine would say, we, we did that very well because we used the time judiciously to crack on with some of the information research that, well, you know, the, the tough stuff that you need to build a, an online business, we got on with this week. So it's been really valuable. Yes, absolutely. Um yeah, I mean, we've, we've, between us, we've managed to get quite a lot of work done. A lot of sort of, um, of the sort of, I suppose you'd say, the background work that isn't quite so glamorous as, you know, da here's a new book. So it's been yeah. really good, very productive. Yeah, I mean, it's a sort of, there's a production element and there's a selling element. And I suppose that what we were doing was a lot of the groundwork for the selling part. And we'll talk about that uh, later after our interview. We haven't told you who's coming up. Well, it's Donna Morfitt. And, uh, well, Donna's um, Facebook group is, well, it's prodigious, isn't it? The, the way it's grown in the last few months. She set it up from her home in Luton, interviewing the UK's best and up-and-coming crime authors, doing a massively valuable service for the, for the community. And it's just gone from strength to strength. It's, it's something else, isn't it? Yeah, and she's, one, she's an example of, of somebody who... Um, really helps us with our business and she does it just for the love of reading and books and authors and she's so positive and so enthusiastic and so she's got so much energy i admire her a lot for what she does absolutely so you know it's not possible to run a business um i mean the uk crime scene owes its success i think to people like her there's no question about it it's not just the authors the publishers the cover designers that uh, take a lot of the credit it's people who selflessly publicised stuff, especially through social media that's available now. So Donna has been doing that for several uh, months on her own uh, basis before that uh, in, a, in a bigger group. But uh, we'll speak to her a little bit later. So let's, um, let's talk about industry news. We always do that at this stage of any hobcast. And uh, one or two things caught our eye. My, my, my favourite story of the week was the fact that Julie Burchill, um, obviously a very controversial uh, columnist for a number of national newspapers, uh, not at the moment because she's been dropped by the Telegraph where she was very well paid, uh, some big controversies about the sort of things she was putting on about, um, I think it was transgender issues, always a thorny subject at the moment. She basically got cancelled after a furore over that, but she's written a book um, about the, the woke revolution and the impact it's having on free speech, and she's finally found another publisher to take her, called Academica, based in America. Two th- previous contracts have been cancelled one by her and one by uh, little brown as well and that's ironic isn't it it's a book about free speech that she's having trouble having her own free speech about free speech well yeah i mean look she does push the boundaries and she always has ever since her days on the nme when she was uh, married to tony parsons they were sort of the enfant terrible of um, 1970s rock and cultural writing but uh, we need people who push the boundaries, so... I'm... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, the subjects that she's touched on and gone into have caused such controversy. You know, as I say, trans issues are one thing. Uh, and the other one was, was a, 
a series of messages that were deemed as racist and she had to and, and, and defamatory um, and she paid a, a journalist uh, a large sum of money uh, and an apology afterwards that cost her the first contract with Little Brown um, now I, I've met Julie a few times because she lives in Brighton and when I used to work down there she came very close to um, to our breakfast presenter so uh, Julie actually came in and presented a week of shows which was uh, interesting because she's got one of the she's a brilliant writer but she's got one of the squeakiest Bristolian accents you'll ever hear <laughs> yeah I've read one of her books one of her fiction I think it was a young adult book I can't remember the title but yeah no, she's a great writer she's a great thinker yeah so she's found a, book, an, a third publisher um, and I suppose that shows you know you persevere that we someone with her notoriety and reputation and fame will always find someone to publish you but it's been a bit of a struggle yeah indeed so as for me I mean I always pick up on the sort of more frivolous news items don't I but as we know James Patterson has been teaming up with various people to uh, write books well including Brendan Dubois who's spoken to us about the process yeah including Brendan Dubois well his latest one that was in the news this week Dolly Parton I would love to know what they're going to write about together I well it's I mean she's she's lived a life let's be honest there's Dolly so uh, he'll come up if it's the same process as the one he used with Brendan Dubois we found out that, that basically someone you know, Dolly will probably come up with the initial pre- he might come up with the premise she might do the, the the skeleton he'll then polish that up and then she'll get on with writing it and then he'll send back the the um, the rewrites and the, the suggestions and eventually they'll come to, to an agreement as to what it's going to sound like and read like. Uh, he's done the same with Hillary and Bill Kinson, I think. Mm. Well, I have a feeling it's going to be very popular just because it's such a bizarre um, association, so I'm yeah. intrigued. Well, that's a fabulous mashup, as they say. <laughs> uh, anything else caught your eye this week? Um, I can't. No, I don't, I don't think there's any other publishing news that came up. No, I... <sighs> It's been a quiet, another quiet week. Well, it's August. It's always <laughs> quiet. Um, you know, yeah, the bookseller's been full of scoops, uh, lands, and other verbs like that for, for various book deals. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few book deals coming up. Um, and it, it was quite interesting. I, today, I, I spent a long time in Waterstones. I actually went there twice. And just seeing all the, the, the scoops and the, and the sweeps and the whatever's from a few months ago. They're all showing up in Waterstones now. Mm. Oh, uh, well, we, we had our first experience of... We, we tried a different publication route for uh, paperbacks, and uh, we've had Waking the Tiger arrived from Clay's, who are probably the biggest uh, established printer in, in the country, um, and we are sort of responding to demand prompted by the bloody Scotland nominations that he's, he's got. And by the way, that's the other piece of news we should say, is that bloody we, we've known this for a bit of time, but bloody Scotland confirms they are going ahead in person. A physical festival in Sterling on September the 17th. I don't think they've announced it yet. I think yeah, well, I, I think that's... Monday, sorry. Oh, well, that's fine because we're doing it <laughs> on the podcast, so uh, that's coming out. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... I'm pretty sure that was released this week, but anyway, uh, which is good news. So... We're looking forward to that, and we'll be going, which is great. Yes, I know. I can't wait. So we, we've actually got our hotel room reserved. Um, we haven't paid for it yet, but it's reserved for us, so that's, yeah. that's good. That's in, the, in the salubrious golden lion. I know. Sounds very impressive, doesn't it? So that's to come. Let's get into the interview. We'll, we're, we've got some usual frivolous chat for the back end of the interview. We always do, but... I'd like to apologise to the Luton Tourist Board for what's about to come. Right, yeah. Um, 
Donna is a is a great advocate for crime writing, but not so much for her hometown of Luton. <laughs> so we're talking to Donna Morfitt and uh, her Facebook page. Uh, I, I, I struggle with the exact thing. It's Donna's giveaways and. Yes, I think it is Donna Morfitt's giveaways and prizes or something like that. Yeah, um, which has a plethora of interviews with the top UK crime authors. No, a plethora, surely. Well, okay, whichever. <laughs> um, and you know, it sprung up from her passion for for crime fiction and crime authors, and it, her mission is really to support people like us in publishing and the authors uh, getting a bigger audience. And uh, she does a fabulous job. It's very, very selfless, and she's, got, she's a busy person as it is with a, with a normal job. So we're, we're enormously grateful to her. So let's, uh, let's speak to Donna Morfitt. Donna Morfitt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hobcast. And I think you probably have the most famous sofa in British crime. <laughs> would that be fair? Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> You make it sound like a crime has been committed on that sofa. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, it's the wrong colour for crime. There's random DNA secreted in amongst the cushions, I know. Uh, but no, thank you for spending some time with us on the on the Hobcast. And um, my opening question, really, the one that sort of struck me sort of between the eyes when we were thinking about this interview was simply, how do you find the time to conduct so many interviews? Um, for some reason, people think I'm much busier than I am. So um, it's not that bad, really. Um, if I do one a day, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's three. It depends on how well I get on with the person I'm interviewing. But, um, you know, it's not not that much time, really. And it's fun, so um, it doesn't bother me, you know, putting other stuff aside maybe to do that because I love it. So you just get carried away and you just want to keep doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes an interview can last an hour, but I'm talking to the person for an hour before and an hour afterwards. And it doesn't feel like five minutes has passed. So, yeah, it's it's fun. Take us through how this all started. When did you first strike on the idea of, of conducting these interviews? Um, it was all, and I always, tell, he knows, I always blame it on Duncan Brockwell. Um, I became friends with him last year after I read um, his first book, No Way Out, I think. And the second book in that series was coming out and he was worried that um, the pre-sales weren't very high um, and that it wasn't going to sell many. So for some crazy reason, I suggested to him that I interview him because I thought then I could put it in my group, then people could see it, they could share it around, they could see him, they could see him talk about his book. And he agreed, but he said, well, um, Andy Roberts, who writes as Liam Hansen, has a book out the day before me, so why don't you ask him? So I asked Andy, and he agreed. And then um, a few other people, I think I asked in the beginning, then I put it on my group, and then it just went absolutely insane. But I think that was uh, October or November last year, so I've not even been doing it a year. So that's really not very long, because I, I must admit, I well, we came across you, I'm trying to think, when not that long after that and I assumed you'd been doing it for a long time (laughs) you seem very comfortable doing it yeah I and I don't know why because it's um years ago it would have been my worst nightmare absolutely horrendous being on screen and and stuff and seeing myself but 
I just forget that bit, I think, and <laughs> just uh, do the interview. The way that I, I was always taught when I started off my broadcast career and moved into television was, yeah, the camera's there just observing. You're having a conversation one-to-one with whoever you're speaking to, and that's that's the key to it. Yeah, I just look, because the screen side by side, I just look at the face of who I'm talking to and and forget that I'm on the screen as well. But if ever they want it edited, I tell them they're out of luck. Whatever it is on the podcast, on the radio is what goes out. <laughs> that, there's no editing. So presumably, I mean, you had the early success putting it putting it out there and saying look i'm starting these interviews and people said yes how difficult is it i mean we find it sometimes quite difficult thinking hang on a second right we've got <laughs> program next week we've got we want, we've got so and so earmarked for such and such um but for you it's you know there's a very very long list of people you've spoken to now so do you find it difficult for people to say yes no um i generally put a post up at the end of a month saying I've got dates available for next month and then generally within three or four days they're filled it's insane that's that, wonderful isn't that, it? that is brilliant <laughs> that is brilliant and tell us about I mean for those who aren't familiar with uh, the wider group tell us about that Facebook group and what's the philosophy behind it um so when I started doing the interviews I was part of British crime fiction which someone asked me to admin um poor guy <laughs> and I sort of took over and I'd already become friendly with quite a few authors so I invited all of them and it went massive and then Duncan again said um you should probably start your own group um I was like oh yeah okay that's fine so it's called Donna's interviews reviews and giveaways so obviously I post my interviews on there um and I do a lot of blog tours and I read a, a load of books so I review those <laughs> And then um, and some authors do giveaways, and at the minute I'm doing one as well. So you can win free books and other bits and pieces as well. Um, and I set it up primarily and only to help authors. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. And it seems to be doing its job, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, all our authors, I think that's how we came across you. They, they all talk about, oh, I'm, I'm going to um, be interviewed by Donna or I'm going to do something for Donna's Facebook page. And, you know, I think at first I thought, Donna, Donna, who is this Donna? <laughs> and they do. They all want to be interviewed by you. They all say, oh, I've got a slot. <laughs> and they're really happy when they've got a slot. Oh. So I think oh. you are in demand. So who, who have, have, is there any sort of really well-known crime writers that you've interviewed? Uh, Mark Billingham, probably one of the most famous, and he was great. Loved talking to him. Um, and obviously, you know, because you spoke to him at Harrogate. Um, yeah, he's lovely. He's a nutter, absolute nutcase. Um, and Mike Craven, um, and he remembered me. I asked if he remembered me when we were at Harrogate, and he said, yeah, that was a fun interview. So that was nice. <laughs> um, Peter May was quite a big, big name as oh, well. Nice oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so I'm trying to think actually. Probably the, probably the biggest so far. And in terms of your approach, when you've got a big name like that, because I know we were really, I mean, we were speaking to them face to face in person at Harrogate, and it took us most of the weekend to build the confidence <laughs> up to ask some of them, as you saw. Um, do you, I mean, you're obviously very comfortable with the format now, but do you get the nerves when you're dealing with someone of that sort of stature? Yeah, <laughs> um, I've I wondered whether to try and approach them differently, and I thought I can't. I've got to do it my way. So, um, and I 
I was interviewing Peter May and I was asking authors what their most embarrassing moment was. So I thought I'd ask Peter May. And as I was sitting there, I'm like, I can't believe I'm asking Peter May what his most embarrassing moment was. <laughs> Dying to know. What was it? Yeah, come on. Spell. <laughs> I can't remember. And it was funny as well. It was a funny story and I can't remember. I'll have to go back and listen to the interview and find out. <laughs> but he did answer it and he didn't have any hesitation in answering either. So oh, good for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's the thing that has struck me about yeah, when we went to Harrogate, you know, that was our first exposure to the to the world of the the big names if you like in the crime world um just how approachable and uh you know uh talkative they are even ian rankin who you know is probably amongst the sort of uh i would say he measures his words a, a little and and um you know brings a certain scottish aesthetic to what he says he was forthcoming as well if you ask the right questions they give you the right answers don't they yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like to try and ask different questions because especially people like Ian Rankin and probably Mark Billingham, God knows how many times they've been interviewed, thousands, I would think. So I'd like to try and ask something different that they're not expecting and then they're like, oh, and then they haven't got their answer ready. They need to actually <laughs> think about it. And it's like, ah, yes, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's always a pleasure, isn't it? I mean, from any interview. If you get, if you get one where they think, you can see their thinking and they've got off the script... <laughs> That is the best feeling, isn't it? It is. I love it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the occasions when I've... <laughs> I'm I got... sure you've got many memories. Well, okay, yeah. No, my, one of my favourites was getting Terry Waite to sing along with a singing greengrocer from Brighton. <laughs> that was a bit special, in the pouring rain. So, I mean, Terry Waite is seven foot tall or so. He's like, Rich, makes Richard Osman look small. And um, he's underneath the, the, the back door of my uh, tiny little radio car. And... Uh, and Giovanni, the singing greengrocer, was on before him. In fact, we actually bumped Terry Waite down the running order to get Giovanni in, and he started singing Osole Mio with him. It was absolutely hilarious. We need to get somebody to do that on the podcast then. What, Osole Mio? Don't look at me. You've got no chance. Anyway, uh, we digress. So um, you you hinted at it. Um, You're entering the author world. Yes, I am. Um, I am writing a young adult horror book. Fantastic. And have you got a working title? Um, it's called House of Horrors at the moment, but I'm thinking of changing that. Fantastic. And and uh, what stage is the, the manuscript at in terms of you know preparation and, and you're happy with it? Are you, you nearly there? Um, I think so. It needs um, it needs some more editing. Uh, I didn't realise quite how much editing a book needs, even a short. Uh, sort of novella length is crazy so it needs a, another round of edits I think and then um, I'm hoping to get it out in time for Halloween. Oh, Always a good time we've got one coming out. Yes as well. we do too yeah. How have you found that experience then being a writer because you've, you've talked to so many writers you've got lots of writer friends and now you've done that how, how was that experience how would you describe it? Um, addictive absolutely <laughs> just I loved it and I was doing my degree at the time and I was supposed to be concentrating on that, doing my dissertation, and it took over. I couldn't not write. I had to, I needed to finish the book. It was absolutely, really addictive, and I was shocked, actually. But um, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, it, it is addictive. Um, it's quite daunting, too, isn't it? I, I always think when I start something off, 
Um, and probably the first paragraph gets written about eight times it's very, <laughs> before I get the flow. Well, that first so how, sentence is very how, important. How about you and your, your, your sort of, uh, this is the, the obligatory craft question. I'm sure you've asked many, many authors this themselves, but what's what when you were sort of uh, getting that first draft done, what sort of number of words were you doing a day? Um, between one and 2,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was that... Uh, how did that feel? I mean, you say it was amazing. I mean, did it was it was it a struggle at times, or was it did it just just come? Yeah, it seemed to just come. Um, and I I didn't plot anything. I had no idea what I was going to write. So every time I opened my laptop, um, I just started typing, and it just sort of came. And I had no idea what I was going to write that day. <laughs> um, and what I potentially thought I might have carried on with the next day wasn't necessarily the case. It was really odd. But, but did you think um, you were going to be a plotter then before you started? No, no, I never have been. School essays, university dissertations, nope, <laughs> never, <laughs> never planned. Amen. That's that's me all over and too. Me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever have a plan, I have to start. I start worrying about my my health if I start planning anything. <laughs> well, I think you use planning as a as a distraction. You do? <laughs> you say I'm going to write a plan or I'm going to do a map or... Well, yeah, I, didn't, I, I mind map, but blimey, I mean, you know, spiders are, you know, you put put the spider in a, you know, a bottle of ink and see it run around afterwards. It would be, uh, it would be make more sense, I think. Um, but that, that, that's interesting. I mean, it's quite a commitment, isn't it? To sort of, to having been at the fulcrum really of, uh, let's put it, how do I put it? let's give it a title i mean essentially this there's a culture around uk crime now in the facebook community and there are lots and lots of websites and, and you've been involved in two of the best definitely if not the the best um but it's quite a it's quite a departure from being you know as you were an admin on on, on a big one and setting up your own to being potentially your own guest <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I was quite worried as well that everyone's going to want to interview me as well and tell some of the horrible questions I asked back on me. <laughs> oh, God. Get that but, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it will be um, really odd. Uh, people already want to buy my book and it's like, it's not even finished yet and they want signed copies. I'm like, why? Why would you do this? It's just weird. Even customers that come in my my work keep saying, it's not up yet. I'm like, I know, I will tell you when it's ready. Like, we want to sign copy when it's done. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I think that's because <laughs> if they've met you, they're interested, you know, they want to know something about what's in your mind and that comes through in what you've written that's what they're hoping you know they're going to get to know Donna a bit better through your book <laughs> yeah but it's a horror book hopefully it doesn't terrify them <laughs> well you say it's YA so young adult um how horrific does the horror get not very you can't you just can't you have to um hint at rather than describe um, for example, I wanted to cut someone's arm off and I wasn't allowed to. So I just had to have the person just cut it with an axe. <laughs> okay. I can yeah. see <laughs> as you say that, you screw your face up a little. You, it still rankles, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does, yeah. <laughs> oh, what's an arm That's between so mean, friends? isn't it? Well, think, I mean, this is an interesting thing with, I think there's a really different, here we go off on a tangent, but this is what we do with this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> I think there's a really big 
difference between what people feel comfortable being put into print and what they're prepared to watch. That generation will have watched the Hostel movies, the Saw movies, you know, <laughs> schlock, gore, uh, all sorts of deprivations and unpleasant things happening to people. And yet, you know, you're in a position where you're being blocked from cutting an arm off, which is pretty small beer. I mean, I'm just reading Ernest Hemingway. That's pretty small beer compared to, you know, one of the great literary greats, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I can, I can sense your frustration. And I, I think if I was in the same situation, I'd feel the same. Yeah. No swearing, no sex, you know, nothing. You have to be really just, I don't know, vanilla, I guess. Yeah, that's a good word um, yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, actually, it could be the colour of your sofa, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the irony is, though, that people, uh, young people, they, they can read anything they like, more or less. I think it was Ian Rankin was, was talking about um, when he was uh, sort of 12 years old, yeah. he was able to get The Godfather out of the library and nobody batted an eyelid. Yeah, but he couldn't go and see the film. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like you say, watching the Saw films, I mean, they're horrendous, but they can't read about someone's arm being chopped off in a book. I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe you're the author to change that. Once once this one's out there and you take, you know, it sells Casquillian copies, you can tell people you're going to... Casquillian? You made that up. Casquillian? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Quite yeah. a few copies, shall we say. <laughs> well, I think I think Casquillian is going to be the new measure that uh, all book sales should be measured against. So instead of a bestseller in the category, it'll yeah, be you know, sold as Casquillian... <laughs> Casquillian Kindle bestseller. Yeah, I mean, that works, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, right, yeah, go so again. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on one of those days today. I think I'm slightly high because we're finally, we've been in, uh, as we speak to you, Donna, as you're probably aware, stuck in the house for 10 days with two kids with COVID. So it's tomorrow is the day we get out. <laughs> Do you know, I'm so excited about going to Tesco. I cannot wait to go to Tesco. <laughs> You rock. Bad times. <laughs> I'm going to go mad. I think <laughs> spend a hundred pounds. <laughs> so, Donna, um, as we sort of talk about your, the the book and and obviously the the two websites, so tell us more about where your passion for crime writing has come from. Um, I think uh, when I was a teenager, I read Point Horror, um, and then I went on to Stephen King, which is quite common, I think. Um, and then I think as I became sort of young adult, I found uh, authors like Kathy Rikes and Tess Gerritsen yeah. um, and Karen Sorter, people like that. And then um, and then after that, James Patterson, Lee Child. Um, and it was from there. Um, that's when I started collecting books. I've got all of Kathy Rikes's um, Lee Child's and all um, on my bookshelf. I've uh, just fell in love with them and as soon as there was a new one in Tesco's I would buy it uh, so it kind of went from there but indie authors I don't know um I think lockdown was how I found loads of new indie authors and now that's primarily what I read mostly because they're arcs and I have to but um, yeah I don't really read any uh Kathy Wrights or anything anymore no that's interesting it? I mean in a sense they <laughs> If we were talking about drugs, they're kind of the gateway drugs, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you might smoke first, then do a bit of dope, and then you're on to harder stuff. Um, but or, Stephen King, like you said, that's very common. I read lots of Stephen King when I was a teenager. Yeah, well, actually, funny enough, we had, you know, I read a lot of Brendan Dubois, and we've had him on the program, and uh, he's not a massive, massive name, but he's working with James Patterson now. So 
you know, he's one of his co-authors. And it's interesting that from that sort of, I mean, let's face it, when you go into a British supermarket, you look at the shelves for the books, there's the same names pretty mm. much. And there's one yeah. or two indies have crept in there. Mark Dawson, LJ Ross have battered the yeah. door down. But that's pretty rare, isn't it? Let's be honest. Otherwise, yeah. you've got to be, you know, with Pan Macmillan or HarperCollins or any of those people to really get on those shelves. Um, but you're in a wonderful position, um, unlike many of us who perhaps don't read as many books as you do, to be able to judge whether the indie scene um, matches up to the more established traditional publishing. Uh, what do you think? I would argue that um, there's indie authors out there that should be bestsellers. Some of their books are way better than some of the traditional books I've read. Um, and I, I really feel for them that they can't get that bit of luck or that step up that they need to get the same recognition as some of the, you know, more worldwide well-known authors. It's, um, I mean, a lot of it's about momentum, isn't it? And that's one of the, the things that we do in Hobeck is it, it, all of it's about building brand awareness for ourselves as a company, but also our individual authors. And you, you've, you know, many of them, Malcolm Hollingdrake in particular. And um, in fact, as we speak, we've been, you know, discussing with Malcolm, just how do we make that next leap, taking his books, which are brilliant, into the general mainstream consciousness. And it's certain indies have done it and others, including ourselves, really, are trying to do it. But do you sense when you speak to those bigger authors um, that are with traditional publishers that uh, they recognise the, the talent that's out there, but you know, in that level below them or outside of that in that environment. Yeah, I find that the traditionally published authors still have imposter syndrome. They feel like they're only where they are because of luck. So they don't actually think that they're where they are because they're better than anyone else. They're friends with um the all the indie authors as well. So I think they feel like they're one of them still, even though they're you know selling more books and stuff you know I think they think they just got lucky I genuinely don't think that they're any of them feel like they're they're there because they're more talented that's really interesting to say that because I get that impression as well even talking to but do you think that's the, big the crime genre though do you think that that's over well, everything or well I, I specific to crime? okay I mean answering that point I'm I get the impression that I've been to one or two literary festivals as opposed to crime fiction festivals, and it is a different ball game there. And there's a lot of, <laughs> let's put it this way, I don't get the impression that um, that people who are in the literary world think too much about whether you know they're not, you know, they they don't have that self doubt as much. I'm sure they do privately, but they're not prepared to admit it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of snobbishness as well. Um, and I think because I'm helping do the uh, festival next year, a book signing event, and there seems to be a lot of snobbishness towards romance writers. And I don't really know why, you know, everyone's writing. It's the same process. It's the same difficulties. So, you know, why are any prioritised over another? It's, it was really odd. Yeah, romance yeah, is a <laughs> massive skill in itself. Um <laughs> Look, That's I don't, I I don't you know whether write. your book has any. Well, I said you've had to remove any references to anything that might be uh, violent and indeed kind of sexual. But I've written one or two sort of very chaste love scenes, and boy, oh boy, is it difficult! 
yeah uh, no there's none and I don't think I could I it's not my no nah. <laughs> I, I think it would think be I hard would. not to fall into cliche writing romance you know like like I don't know well, I don't if, wanna... you, if you've read <laughs> Yeah. If you're ready, Alan Titchmarsh, you'll know how the, how easy it is to fall into cliche. <laughs> <laughs> I have never so read Alan Titchmarsh. Well, I, I read it for a laugh because someone said it was like re reading real-life Alan Partridge. Uh, <laughs> and one of my favourite things that I've ever seen on television was when <laughs> Steve Coogan won a British Comedy Award and the, the WAGs who, who were organising the British Comedy Awards that year decided to get Alan Titchmarsh to do the presentation and Steve Coogan gets up there without you know and just says straight to him I'd like to thank you Alan for not just for the award but also all the inspiration you've given me uh, over the years and Alan Titchmarsh puffed his chest out without realizing he was having the, the piss ripped out of him um, it was just a sweet sweet moment oh that's sweet <laughs> but, if you want bad bad sex read some Alan Titchmarsh and you know stick to the gardening mate that's all I'm saying <laughs> His sales have gone up to a casquillion now because of this. Probably. <laughs> Should get him on your on your uh, well, maybe not the sofa, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, you know, well... <laughs> that sofa's the wrong. He'll bring a new audience. I, I, he's very very popular with a certain demographic. Um, who still out there? Have you? I mean, you may want to names or not name names, but. Is there anyone you've approached who's said snobbily, no, I'm not doing it? Or... Well, I approached, I emailed Peter James and got no response. Um, I asked Ian Rankin at the festival and he sort of said, and then so I haven't bothered him yet. Um, obviously, you know, Stephen King would be amazing, but he just doesn't reply. Um, but they're the main ones, really, but... I mean, I enjoy speaking to someone that's just written their first book as much as a big name anyway. So it doesn't really, really bother me um, if, they, if they're too busy or too snooty, then that's fine. <laughs> I've got to ask, because we were too scared to do it. Have you ever approached Val McDermott? No. Do you know what? We went to talk to her at the festival, me and Linda, and she quite pointedly ignored us. So really? we gave up at the end. I was like, fine, so you then. Everyone says how lovely she is, and she... She really blanked us and we're like, fine. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I would quite like to because she's involved in forensics, which is what I'm interested in as well. So I'd love to speak to her, but I'm a bit like, mm, okay, maybe not then. I just, I must admit, I just didn't have the courage. <laughs> no, we didn't, did we? we but didn't. It, it, there's every likelihood that with Bloody Scotland around the corner um, in September, which we hope to attend, she'll be there because she's nominated too, along with Mark Whiteman. And uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's the time when I've had a few drinks. I go <laughs> yeah. take the plunge and we make the invite. Yes, I think we we'll give it a go, won't and, we? And when we'll we get... do, we're going to get a going to get a, a yes to you too. Yes, we'll say on <laughs> condition that you talk to Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone says how lovely she is. So uh... I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I just think I got the impression when we spoke to Mark Billingham about it. Um, you've just got. She's really lovely when you approach at the right moment and. That, I think, is probably, that's the key to timing. It's the same when I was working in sports broadcasting, approaching big names. You'd either get them on a, in a good moment or a bad one. And woe betide you if you got them in a bad one, especially football managers. <laughs> uh, what, like <laughs> Raffle Doritos? Well, I got, I, well, I got here's another little, sorry, I'm digging into my great big, 
book of stupid broadcast anecdotes, but uh, <laughs> I did get assaulted by a, a, a football league manager once, uh, and it led led to him being fired. Um, at Talking United, and what had happened? He what you know, just to fill you in on what we used to do. So you you do your match reporting or commentary in this case. And then you'd wait at the end of the match and the sports program would roll on till six o'clock. And during that hour between five and six, you would expect to go down to the, towards the, the changing rooms in the, in this case, or the players tunnel or whatever. And eventually the manager would come out and give you whatever they wanted to say. Uh, he didn't emerge. Things were going really badly for the club. So I decided there were about six of us journalists there. I decided, I don't know what possessed me to go into the players dressing room and then knock on the manager's door, which was the other side of the, the dressing room, and say, Oi, where are you? <laughs> you At which point brave. he swung for me. Oh, wow. And shoved me out of his office, which was then witnessed by the chairman, who fired him <laughs> about 10 minutes later. Um, anyway, so sorry for that. So particular basically, person. the message there is pick your time. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you didn't pick a good one. Yeah, I, won't, I can't do the Gordon Ramsay thing when I. Uh, Anyway, that's another story. Yeah, that is a good story, but that is another story. <laughs> that's for one for drinks when we're at Harrogate. Sorry, Donna, we're, we're interrupting. I'm just blathering on. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I'm just storing that away for next year. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'll guarantee I'll bring you that one. Uh, but we will need a few drinks, and you'll need to bring earplugs for the sort of language, as you can imagine, Gordon Ramsay used. <laughs> I'm sure Donna's used to that. <laughs> I live and work in Luton, trust me. I've probably heard it all. <laughs> and, um, I, say. I hear bad things about Luton. It can't be that bad, surely. Come on, tell us, spill some beans on, on, on Luton. It's worse. It's horrendous. <laughs> it's it's a horrible place. You know, it's voted the worst town frequently <laughs> for good reason. It's just oh, it's awful. I work in a a shopping centre, and my end of the shopping centre, there's Greg's where I work, and Lush, and Body Care, and a pound shop, and that's pretty much it. Everything else is shut. So the customers must smell nice then. Well, no. <laughs> depends on really if they can, you know, bap or not. And where I park my car, um, because it's cheap, um, is where the new Luton Town football ground is going to be, hopefully. And it has sort of just basically a dump. So at the minute there's a bag of rubble. There was a fridge. There's been a sofa use condoms which is lovely uh loads of bread rolls randomly um yeah it's just rank really <laughs> it's funny you say <laughs> rebecca when we were first well getting together i suppose a few years ago you sent me a photograph for i can't remember where it was was it wolverhampton was it newport in Shropshire. probably wolverhampton by the sounds of it telford it was telford oh, okay it? telford <laughs> you, you sent me a picture of a uh, sort of distressed piece of ground with a pair of random pair of ladies knickers. Oh, that was Newport, oh, that was believe Newport. it or not. Yeah, in Shropshire. Yeah. Is, uh, I found some discarded pants in Newport. So Newport's quite posh. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a waitrose. It's that posh. Um, Outside Stan Robinson's. <laughs> yeah. I told you we digressed on this, this podcast. This is, this is but, um, I've forgotten it's, about that. It's my fault. It's my fault. But I, I kind of get where you're coming from. I mean, look, I worked in Salford for, for 10 years and... Uh, if anyone's had the uh, the guts to travel to on the tram out to Eccles, I'll, I know where you are now. I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it's like kind of northern Luton. <laughs> have you ever been to Kenilworth Road as well? Yeah, well, I played hockey there once when they used to have an artificial pitch. Uh, that was when I was a kid. Yeah, in my in, you know in the eighties. But beyond that, no. 
So you, could you write there. a horror story set in Luton? It sounds like it would be a good setting. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I probably could. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of uh, waste ground and uh, abandoned buildings and stuff and just power court where they want to put a new football ground is enough on its own, I think. <laughs> we have a train station. And, <laughs> and well, it, needs, it does need a new football ground. It was bad then. It's it's worse now, I'm sure. Um, but then again, there's you, there's Stacey Dooley, uh, Paul Young. Oh, what's the name? Vauxhall Lorraine Cars Chase. And Lorraine Chase. I mean, you and know. And an airport so you can escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just that's what everyone says. They they drive through Luton or they go to the airport to fly out of it. I'm like, yeah, that's the best thing to do. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> well, you're in the you're in the the hub, I think, of Hobeck Noir, where you are, in, yes. because we've got so many Bedfordshire authors. It's it's crazy. So how much contact have you had with with any of our guys? So we've got Karina Swan, we've got A. B. Morgan, we've got Robert Dawes. Ali I talk to frequently because I love the bones of that woman she's amazing we just clicked the first time we spoke and so yeah I I mean I've got my own sunflower so <laughs> what's your yeah. sunflower called oh Donna it's Donna yeah so and I flowered last week so that was nice finally <laughs> well there you are you see it's, it's it's a sign for the book yeah it took me long enough um but yeah she's just I just love her. She's amazing. Um, I haven't had anything to do with the other two, but I would like to, um, any of them. But uh, I'm always in contact with Malcolm as well. Uh, Teasy, he is to me. <laughs> why is you Teasy? I'm intrigued. Yeah, we need to know this. This is what the people, this is what people, that's why we invited you on. We needed to find out the story. <laughs> Teasy. <laughs> um, so when I was doing my degree, I kept asking Malcolm for help um, because I was doing chemistry and I hated it. And every time he said, I'm washing my hair. I said, you must have the cleanest hair in Wigan or wherever he lives. And uh, he just laughed at me. And eventually he said, um, just call me Teasy Weezy. So I do. And if he sends me a signed book, he signs it from Teasy as well. So That's brilliant. Now we yeah. know the story. Because I've noticed this, you see, and I, on Twitter and on Facebook, I was thinking, Teasy, why Teasy? <laughs> so now I know. Okay, right. he's got yep. clean hair. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, always washing his hair. Movie. Yeah, because he wouldn't help me. I was like, fine. Oh, he's a meanie. <laughs> I know, that's what him. I said. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> I, I do, what I, I really, um, because we were finding it so difficult when we're at Harrogate to sort of approach people. Uh, but I really appreciate that, you know, no matter how you might feel at any one time in terms of approaching, you just go for it. I love that. Yeah, well, you you have to. I mean, there are a couple of people I uh, regret not approaching, uh, Mark Billingham being one, especially because I didn't interview him. But, I mean, you saw how excited I was when someone agreed to an interview. You know, it's still, <laughs> it still gets me. I still think it's cool. So I think as long as I, I have that, then I know I'm still doing the right thing. In terms of where you want to take, you know, your your Facebook group forward, um what's you do you have an ambition for it in terms of how big it gets or uh I mean change? obviously I'd love to match UK crime book club which would be amazing but I don't think I'd ever reach that but I mean I seem to interview some a lot of the same people that they do so I don't see why not but um I'm happy with I'd just like to keep increasing the numbers because at the end of the day it's to get 
the um, authors recognized and the more people that are there, the more people that will see all the posts and everything. So that's all I want is more people. And you do it for the love of crime? Yeah, literally for nothing else. It is just genuinely to help them. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do anything within reason to, to give them a hand if I can. So yeah, if they just have to ask generally and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Excellent. No, it's, it's a very, very valuable community that you're building there. Um, in terms of the people who have subscribed to it and, and watch your videos, I mean, what sort of feedback do you get? Um, I've got one um, person that watches every single interview. Um, and uh, so she always messages me once she's watched it, which is lovely. Uh, but generally, yeah, just uh, great feedback, actually. Uh, I don't think I've ever had anything negative. And just, um, uh, can you interview this person? I get that quite often. Or I've suggested your page to you, um, to this person. So, you know, wait to hear. Oh, okay, that's cool, no problem. So, yeah, generally just recommended me all over the place, which is quite nice. That's wonderful. <laughs> and I, I guess that when you're looking for endorsements to put on the front of the book, uh you've got the best black book in the business in terms of uh, come on then now it's payback time give us a line yeah well i mean a few have already said that they're going to share it as wide as they can and a few i know will do without me even asking so yeah it will be quite mad i think when it does come Just, uh, i mean my acknowledgements page is going to be about four pages long <laughs> i thank everybody that's, thanking everybody that's helped me oh my god I, i'd be terrified of missing someone Someone will message me later and go, "Oi, what about me?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 is a worry, isn't it? The old acknowledgements. I mean, that's. I think to get away with it, you have to put something like, you know, if anyone I've missed, I'm I'm sorry, but I I thank you all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that often is the case in books, isn't it? I mean, you see that that line. I couldn't have done it without, you know, my mother. Blah, blah, blah. And then there's and anyone else I've forgotten. It's not because you've I've forgotten them. Just this, it just hasn't <laughs> popped into my head at this particular moment. Because. In a way, though, there's nothing worse than a list, a two-page list of just names of people. Yeah. Because I've seen that as well, where they thank everybody. Well, like, particularly in non-fiction books. For the person who made the tea at the publishers. <laughs> well, they're the most important person, <laughs> arguably. <laughs> That's been a nice side effect, actually, of what I've been doing, is that I'm in quite a few acknowledgements now of books as well, which I never expected, and that's pretty cool as well. Did you get excited the first one? Yeah. <laughs> um, especially because I wasn't expecting it I had I didn't have a clue but now um sometimes authors get really excited when they've put me in acknowledgements and they'll send me a picture of the page which is really cute, I'm like, oh. <laughs> cute. <laughs> yeah. they're like if you got to the end yet and stuff I'm like no it takes me a while I'm, I know I'm a fast reader but geez so then they just they can't wait for me to finish the book and they'll send me a picture which oh. <laughs> yeah bless them and in in terms of the, the obviously clearly you're, you're getting access to a lot of you know the breadth of work. If you were to outside of the Hobart lot, obviously in TZ, <laughs> um, is there any one name that you would say, right, people? If you haven't read X, go out and get their book now. Is there, you know I know it's a bit a naughty question really in some ways because there'd be a lot of people going, oh you didn't mention mine, but uh, come on, there must be one that's really resonated with you and you think I really 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 want that to get to number one. Um, AJ Tony Forder and his Bliss books and actually and his other books but the Bliss books definitely no question I love Bliss 
um, and I've got to know Tony really well as a result of them. But he's made me laugh. He's made me cry twice or three times. Um, and they're brilliant. So, yeah, absolutely. Tony Ford is for this series. Absolutely. And I've, I've been looking very closely at, I mean, you know, very considerable success is developing there for Tony. Um, it's one of the names that uh, the last few weeks I've been taking a very, very close look at the, the wider sort of what's out there on Amazon and who's doing well. And Tony is is, is blitzing it along with, you know, James Dalgleish, who's coming on the programme very soon. Um, LJ, and we've had Adam Croft, obviously, he's done amazing things and some of our authors, of course, as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, and Simon McCleave, off the scale, the number of yeah, reviews Simon's he gets. Yeah, Simon's great. Yeah, he's awesome. I listened to that yesterday, actually, his <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's there's a there's a lot of inspiration to be taken there from people who are doing it um, either through publishers like ourselves or for themselves as independent author publishers. And I think that it's I, it, I'm not saying it's unique because it's not because in America there are a lot of people doing it, but I think a lot of the most successful over there are really making it as romance writers but over here crime is king let's be honest no i think that's true yeah yeah absolutely and 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 really donnie i mean you know i don't want to sort of blow smoke anywhere particular uh, in in the little (laughs) but uh, you're becoming one of the cornerstones of that movement really in many ways by what you're doing yeah, I know people say that and it's still really like, oh, I'm like, thank you. I really appreciate it. But for me, it's still weird. Um, but I think I'm going to have to accept that, yeah, that is kind of the case. Um, well, keep doing really, it. It's great. <laughs> oh, I plan to, yeah. I, I'm not stopping, so. I think yeah. you should come to Harrogate next year with T-shirts saying I've been donored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone, who was it? Uh, someone said Morfitted. Which yeah, thought I thought that sounds like a body yeah. transformation, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, who was that? One of the ladies, oh, I don't know, they all blur, I don't know, but yeah, it did make me laugh. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, you could be more fit again, no problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, because. Uh... I think the thing about authors is they like any freebies. They love dark. Oh mugs, God, the mug! I know Ian Rankin <laughs> loved his mug, and made <laughs> my day that he loved, he took his mug. Richard Osman took it. I mean, the multi-millionaire Richard Osman <laughs> took your mug. I just love the thought of him getting up in the morning in his stripy pajamas, going down into the kitchen and making himself a cup of tea in a Hobeck mug. I hope he does. Kids' <laughs> guilty treat. The thing about thing about Richard Osman though, he, he reminds me. This is. I don't know if it's before your time or not, and this is a terrible thing to say, really. Um, but I suppose Bex and I are from slightly different generation, but there was an advert for R. White's Lemonade. <laughs> he does. Yes, he does. He's like the man in the advert. <laughs> he used to come down in the pyjamas and then start singing R. White's Lemonade. If you don't know yeah. this advert, go and look it up Google on YouTube. it. I do. I'm not, I don't think I'm quite as young as you think I am. So, oh. yeah, I do actually. Oh. I do remember. It's a legendary advert, isn't it? And and I think of Richard Osman being a slightly taller version of that. Bloke. He is in those stripy pajamas, <laughs> drinking out of his Hobet mug. Yeah, oh, I can totally picture that. That's hilarious. Incidentally, where have you got yours? Because I think we gave you one, didn't we? It is on my windowsill, actually, at the moment. Um, yeah. I'm get, doing a giveaway to give away some books that I won, um, because it's my birthday next week. So I'm doing um, a giveaway on my page. So once I've cleared them out, then I've got uh, Linda Checkley sent me one and then I've got yours. So they're going to sit next to each other on a shelf in my bedroom. 
Oh, awesome. wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> it's well, good to know we, our mugs are uh, dotted around the country. <laughs> we wish you many happy returns for, for next week then. Um, Thank you very uh, much, yeah. <laughs> uh, a big night out in, in downtown Luton then. No, there's nothing there. There's there's no <laughs> nightclubs. There's nothing. <laughs> I'm You're too old anyway. To Luton desirable. No, I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, we're gonna turn it into the literary capital. We're gonna have a festival <laughs> at, the, at the new new Kenilworth Road. <laughs> yeah. We'll get we'll get uh, Mark Bellingham, the Val McDermott band, to headline. And Robert Dawes, well, Apparently, um, Adam Croft is linked to Luton as well. He went to University of Bedfordshire, I think. So yeah, and he's only up the road in Ampthill, so he's not that far away. Flitic. It's yeah. a very Flitic creative Amp- Amp- borders. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get him for an interview as well, and he said, "Yeah." And then I replied saying when, and then that was it. I've heard from him since. <laughs> yeah, he's a busy man. He's sometimes hard to pin down, you know. Um, but we'll uh, we'll lean on him for you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My lecturer gave me his details actually, which was quite nice. I was like, Ooh. Right, Adam, you've already listened to this. You're on message now. Get it sorted. <laughs> Come yeah. talk to Donna. No pressure. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to have to send Uncle Bob round. <laughs> I don't think Uncle Bob would do much. Uncle Bob, let's not forget, Robert Dawes has recently been a uh, psychotic, uh, well, psychopath in a recent Sky TV series. Skank something, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, he was a very unpleasant bloke. So he has a dark side. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Very much so. So I wouldn't want to cross Robert Dawes on a, you know, he's had a few drinks. In Luton? (laughs) (laughs) running his county lines gang out of Amptill. I know the thing. Anyway, right, that's an allegation which uh, I wish we'll cut from the programme, the final interview. Uh, Donna, <laughs> we've taken a lot of your time, um, but we, uh, we've really, really uh, enjoyed the conversation. And uh, just for, for people who want to get hold of your uh, Facebook page and enjoy the interviews, where do they find it? Um, it's on Facebook. It's Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways. I'm on Instagram as Donna's interviews and reviews I think and it's on YouTube and there's the podcast as well um I think Little Miss Little Miss Morfitch has the authors I think I don't know why I don't call more the same thing but yeah I think that's <laughs> where they are <laughs> brilliant well congratulations on on the development of that in such a few months and uh, also on the imminent book can't wait to read it uh, we join yeah. the list of your customers demanding to know when it's out. You're going to have so, a squillion sales now. You are, yeah. Yeah, I know. I will celebrate when I do. You'll have to tell me how to spell it, though, when I post it on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not good. sure. Well, I'm gonna, I think it might. <laughs> I might well call it that's this week's podcast name, I think, because squillions are going to be in there somewhere anyway. Uh, Donna, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sparing us the time and, and speaking to us. Absolute pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. I think I might need to apologise to the Eccles Tourist Board as well for uh, giving them a, a bit of a bee sting during that interview with oh, Donna. Oh, you did, yeah. Um, I used to think Eccles was posh just because of Eccles cakes. I didn't realise it wasn't quite so salubrious. Yeah, and they're not often made there either. I think they made uh, made a down, downtown, um, where is it, Levenshume or somewhere like that in the centre of Manchester. But uh, it is... Uh, that's where we are. We are in the very centre of Manchester. We're in St Peter's Square, which has, as I said, I mean, for many years, when they were putting the, the, the second tram um, route through here and building a bigger station and moving the centre, 
and building lots of office blocks behind us, which are now empty because no one wants them anymore. Um, the fact is that this place was always a massive building site. There just seemed to be an angle grinder on 24-7, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame. But they had, you know, a few years ago, they revamped the, the Central Library. And if you haven't had a chance to go to Manchester Central Library, it's not Deco Masterpiece, uh, with a fabulous old-school panelled reading room at on one of the floors it's got a great cafe too and it's full of interactive um, technology as well it's it's a really really fine building um, they've done a really good job with it but um, here we are We're, there's a lot of uh, a lot of sort of noises off behind us we've got uh, a few lads who've either been to the United game might actually be Leeds fans by the look of it because uh, they're not the wearing colours they yeah. sound more Leedsy. they do they do <laughs> they've had a few few drinks enjoyed themselves uh, away to the left is the uh, imposing Midland Hotel and that is famous for being the place where Mr Rolls meet, uh, met Mr Royce many, many years ago. Um, I it's, wonder it's, why they met then. Well, it, it, it had a reputation that I think is certainly up there with one of the best hotels in the city but um, that's now sort of an honour held by the Lowry Hotel which is an ugly looking building but <laughs> it's, uh, it's the highest star hotel in the in the city but it's it's interesting being back in Manchester I've not been much back since I left the BBC I used to work around the corner in Salford um, and obviously I haven't been to United Games so it's, it's quite funny but there's a there's a real energy here uh, I've, I've mentioned that before on this podcast that that very few cities have this much buzz uh, consistently talking of buzz we've also been watching a bit of Bez we have yeah <laughs> yeah it's buzzing um yeah, we've been watching Celebrity MasterChef uh, with the kids, and they've loved it because uh, Bez, or Mark Berry, as he's... Uh, no, he has a real name. He has a real name. Mark Berry is his real Mark. name. Mark? He's not a Mark. No, he's definitely <laughs> Bez. And, uh, of course, he's the uh, uh, famous front man dancer of The Happy Mondays. And he's been on Celebrity MasterChef, and, uh, spoiler alert, has made it through to sort of the latter stages against all predictions really it's been an absolute treat because I think Bez sums up this city in many ways from that era the 90s he, he, he's well met with everybody will talk to anybody um, he doesn't take life too seriously in any respect certainly doesn't take himself too seriously and he's out there to have a good time and he's clearly had a very good time in his 56 years and I think that's why he's done so well in MasterChef just because he didn't he didn't care as much as the others in terms of that you didn't get anxious about it and get stressed you just enjoyed it yeah i think every day's a bonus <laughs> some of these scrapes he's been in uh he's always been a hero of mine i have to say uh i wish i could dance more like bez but i don't have the flexibility to be perfectly honest i can certainly you know flop around a fair bit but not in rhythm well anyway uh we we digress so that's been uh sort of entertainment the other thing has been uh, we haven't quite finished it the hemingway series which has been fascinating and uh, we're rather hoping that none of our authors take the inspiration in terms of the lifestyle uh, the heavy drinking the, <laughs> the, the hunting the, uh, the womanising the, uh, the, the many wives <laughs> yeah four wives Yeah, uh, quite a number of children and uh, an um, amazing number of head injuries in one lifetime which is the thing I've picked up Oh, I must have missed that. But, yeah. Well, it, starting essentially with the, 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 the big one in, when he was, you know, shelled of course, on the Italian yeah. front line. But then after that, you know, he had things fall on him, fell off things. Uh, he had an extraordinary number of concussions. 
maybe that helps with creativity, you don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, Hemingway, still an inspiration all these years later. And uh, what else have we been doing this week? Uh, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the first part of the week we didn't do much because we couldn't go anywhere. Uh, then as soon as we got the freedom, you went to play golf with your two boys before they went on holiday, yep. which was lovely for you. I took uh, my three boys... I said, right, okay, we can go out of the house now. Let's go to Newport. I need to do some shopping and go to the post office because I could finally post uh, Fatal Trade to various reviewers and bloggers and Brian as well. Um, and they elected to sit in the car while I went around the shops and I drove them home again. That was their day out. And they were perfectly happy with that. So. Yeah, they rock. <laughs> yeah, so they're not the hardest teenage boys to keep a handle on, are they? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's it's been 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 sort of quite a, I say sort of nitty gritty kind of uh, week really where we've got into the weeds with um, Amazon particularly. We've started to refresh a lot of the author uh, pages that that come up, you know, the, the book products because part of my research this week is finding uh, comparison authors that we can advertise, you know, to the audiences of, and one of the things I've noticed is that almost everybody else in our genres has a line alongside the title saying, you know, a thrilling, heart-stopping, gripping, you know, full of twists. There's a lot of dead readers out there. Um, yeah, but I think that <laughs> the fact is that that sort of keyword stuffing, if you like, is one way of looking at it. But nonetheless, that sort of... When you look at the carousels on Amazon, you, you I think, you know, the covers can convey only so much information and the titles sometimes can convey what sort of genre we're talking about but a lot of those titles are actually used for other things so let's take an example Karina Swan's Blood Loss that probably as a title turns up 30-40 times on Amazon Yeah. so you've really got to specify when you look at it that this is going to be you know, a psychological thriller or whatever it might be um, so we started to put in lines like that. Now, it, it's not our aesthetic to do that, but let's be practical about it. We have to sell books, and we need people to recognise what they're reading uh, or looking at, and um, it certainly had a, a positive impact on sales. So we will continue to do that. You've been putting some A-plus content in as well, the new option for, for Amazon. Yes, I have, and it, I mean, it's slow going because you have to put it in for each marketplace, for each a- ASIN one at a time but yeah we have been working on that and and doing very visual things as well not much text thinking about how an image can have impact when somebody opens a page um, so yeah that's that's been quite good fun yeah and i've been changing a few keywords here and there just to try and bring them in line with what people are searching for at the moment and there's ways of doing that research uh it's very painstaking and, and time consuming but again it should pay off in terms of sales and that's you know, we're artists as well as as, as as business people, but that is as important. And uh, so we're we're working on that, uh, and we'll continue to do so this week. But we are hoping, <laughs> fingers crossed. I don't want to sort of jinx it. Hoping that we'll we'll have a have a little break in midweek this week, and we genuinely will. We will down tools, but we will be recording if we get to where we're going um, for our mini city break. We've got a very special episode of the podcast to come next week if we get there because I'm determined to mark the 50th anniversary <laughs> of the greatest British crime film of all time. Oh, I thought you going to say Life of Brian, the greatest British film of all time. Mm, no, <laughs> I am referring to, of course, Michael Caine in Get Carter.
has to be the best crime film ever made in this country. One of the best, arguably, ever made anywhere. Yes, I, I, I'm not going to argue with that. And so we'll be uh, looking for some other locations. Uh, and next week's guest, well, we're still working through our options on that. We've got, yes. we've got a few irons in the fire, and uh, we hope to have someone very exciting. But we will reveal that at the beginning of next week's show. Yeah, let's keep it as a surprise this week. Because it's a surprise to us at the moment. <laughs> but we're working on it. Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you from the centre of Manchester with all of its <laughs> noises. noises. My God, what is that? Sounds like the Batmobile, doesn't it? Oh, there it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was- I think they're Nissan 350s, whatever. I can't remember the, the letters that go after that or before it. Anyway, there was a succession of them in um, metallic colours, making an absolute racket. And what an appropriate way to finish this week's Hobcast. Oh, me terrified. You hate that sort of noise and backfiring, I know. OK, so I'll, uh, I'll finish it up. Thank you for listening. Uh, please consider... Oh, there we go again. What a bunch of... I won't use the word. Anyway, please consider subscribing to the Hobcast Book Show uh, wherever you get your podcast from. That would be a massive uh, help to us. And we'll be back with you again next week. So from me, Adrian Hobart. And me, Rebecca Collins. With your hands over your ears as you battle the noise. We'd like to say thank you. Have a wonderful, creative week. We'll speak to you again next week on the Hobcast Book Show. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.